from Deuteronomy 5.32 through 6.3. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Standing just for a moment as we begin the sermon time with reciting this scripture together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. You may now be seated. I love how great thou art. Anybody else love how great thou art? Yeah. Um, uh, Joe Baisden, my good friend, preached here one Sunday. Uh, we were having an area-wide worship, and, and he, he, it was closing song, and he spent, I bet, two minutes instructing the church how we were going to start with the chorus, and then we were going to go back to the verse like we did on this one. And he got ready to go, Oh, Lord, my God, when I... <laughs> and, and, didn't even realize it until it was all done. It was kind of fun. So every time we sing that version of it, I have that memory. In our culture, love takes on all kinds of different forms and has many, many different meanings. Love can be the love a couple has for each other. It might be the love, I love my new car. It may be that I love Italian food. Anybody on that one? I love Italian food. I love Italian food way too much. And there are some of you that say, I love shopping. Say it with me. I love shopping. And you don't have to be female to think you love shopping. Just go watch somebody wander around Lowe's for about two hours, filling up the cart with all the things that they probably don't need, those kinds of things. But of course, all other loves pale in comparison to the love of axe throwing. If you haven't tried axe throwing yet, it is one of the great new um, pastimes, we'll say it that way. I will say this, um, I, I gave up swinging golf clubs and hitting golf balls because it costs a lot of money to do that. I play disc golf basically free most of the time. This is a pastime that'll make you broke real, real fast. But I, I have a feeling that before we're done, we'll be building an axe throwing Range, we'll call it that way in our backyard at some point because can you tell how good Sharon is at axe throwing? So, as families of all sorts, as families of all sorts continue to transition in life, and I, I want to say what I mean by families of all sorts, some of you have sent off new college freshmen. And it's the first time that they're going to make their dwelling more than just a week of camp or a month maybe of being gone. But literally, the mail that they get, their address, is going to go to a different place. That is a new family. They are starting out. And by the way, aren't we glad that none of us stay in that first stage of family? Somebody say amen. 
Did anybody actually wash their seats once a week when you got to that dorm and had to, you know, it was up to you to wash those seats? I bet if you said yes, you're a woman because I didn't, couldn't get that done. We continue to transition through all of life. And Deuteronomy points unequivocally to the priority that as families transition through life, it is loving God that will center them in who they are and what they're going to be about. Every transitional moment that you go through, every sense of life is brand new, I'm finding someone that I want to be my life partner and my life mate, I'm finding that we're going to decide to commit that love to each other. Ah, what do you know? Here comes a child. Some people caught off, more by that, caught off guard more by that than other people. But all these transitions, the transition where we move from being the ones who recognize that we are the primary nurture for that child, and now we're getting ready to send them out. That's a pretty major transition. It, it's a very interesting one because it, it occurs in a time in life where we as adults have moved from that time in life where we think, I can take on anything and I can do anything, and we, we tend to get a few rough knocks, and we're like, oh, I need people around me. I need to hold on to some things. And our kids go from, oh, I need everything from mom and dad to I can do this all on myself. And, and the conflict of the late teen years often occur because... It's that adult need for more dependence and the teenager's need for less dependence that kind of come in conflict. Even that has God's hand involved in it. But at every single stage in our family's life journey, the idea of loving God, just as Israel was about to transition from a being a people who depended wholly and completely on God's provision in the wilderness for 40 years to being a people that occupied cities and farmed fields and nurtured, they've always been nurturing flocks, but in a new kind of situation and trading with the people who came through that part of the world constantly. How do we stay centered? And Moses said, we remember that loving God is everything. So if loving God is so critical, what emphasis might Deuteronomy kind of point us towards that would lead us to think, okay, that's what loving God looks like. There are so many examples that, that I couldn't throw them all up here for you, but I do want to come to this one because it, it, I find it interesting. If we step back into chapter 5 and the repeating of the 10 words, the 10 instructions, the things that we call, what do we call them? The 10 commandments. There's one of them that, again, is told in a slightly different way than it is in Exodus. Deuteronomy 5, starting with verse 8. Read along with me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth below, or in the waters, the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And again, such a critical thing. Coming from Egypt, where everything is an idol. 
going into the promised land where every little city would have special uh, places set up for the idols that they're going to worship in that, their, that area. And there might be different idols for different seasons and different places for different idol worship. And God said, it's just really, really important that you recognize that those graven images, those images made out of wood or stone or covered with gold, whatever they are, they are not God. A lesson that Israel will not learn until it is taken away into exile in Babylon. Because when they return, and by the time Jesus gets here, while they have many, and Jerry pointed to this in his lesson a couple of weeks ago, while they have many different things that maybe they're putting in front of the priority of God's love and mercy and justice, having an image that they set up and worship is not one of them. But this is the place where the nuance changes a little bit. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing, notice the family relationship here, the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who, and again, if we could come up with a word, it would be the opposite of loving God. It would be who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We're repeating here a statement that God makes. It gets repeated quite often in the Old Testament. It starts in Exodus chapter 31 where God will speak to Moses. It is the, the longest single thing that God says about himself. The self-revelation of God. It's the longest thing that comes together and it's extended significantly from this. But the big idea is that God is a God who not only relates to you, but God is a God who relates to your family. That your family is a critical impetus to where our faith will go. There are some of you here, absolutely, that you're a first generation and what we might call a, a Bible-believing, active-living Christian. You may have come from a family that said, oh, yes, we, we show up when we want to, or we claim to be something, but you're the first generation that's done that. But for most of us, when we think about our faith development, the roots of that faith development go back to family. Amen? The other thing that God is emphasizing here when he talks about himself is that his righteousness and justice will not let him let sin go unpunished. And a sin of a generation has an echo effect. But a bigger thing, and again, what God wants to affirm, is that you'll, and, and it doesn't say it this way, but I want to give this emphasis to, me, to it. The more you love me, even if it's just, remember Jesus talking about faith. Faith, even as little as a mustard seed. Or he would use the example of, if you have faith like a child, it's not that you have to know everything. You don't have to get it all right all the time. If you'll just give a little bit of love, God will expand that, not just into three and four generations, but thousands of generations. Hear the difference between what God does with sin and what God can do with his love, with those who love him. Jesus, of course, will hearken back to this. When the teachers come up and try to test him, you, you tell us, give us your interpretation of what is the greatest. And to a certain extent, there were debates that went on about which of the ten 
we needed to be sure and prioritize. And again, for them, the idea of no gramed images was a big deal because they had kind of gotten that one under control. It's kind of the same way we are. When we list sins, we always list the sins that other people struggle with and that we think we have a grip on, right? When we don't, when we list sins, what's wrong with the world? It's not about my greed. It's not about how I am not focused on God the way I ought to be. It's about the way the culture does this or the culture does that or what's wrong with those things out there. Jesus brought them all back to that very basic premise. We call it the greatest command. Jesus called it the greatest command to love the Lord your God, to love the Lord your God. Jesus made sure that they understood that to love the Lord your God absolutely had to be connected to loving your neighbor as yourself. Again, quoting Leviticus 19 along with it. And Jesus seems to be fairly new in that kind of process of tying together because, again, the Jews of his day had figured out all kind of ways to to structure their love in this vertical relationship with God, but maybe had kind of lost the idea of the horizontal relationship with others around them. The book of Jonah is a particular prophetic word to Israel for uh, condemning them, for only seeing loving God as a horizontal relationship and not recognizing that God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to all other people. And so what does it say? It says, love the Lord your God first with all your heart. To love God with all your heart, and and going to go through these quick, fairly quickly. To love God with all your heart, the heart was the center of higher thinking. They weren't exactly sure what to do with all that mush inside your skull, but they knew that that heart thing was beating. And, by the way, they recognized that when you had hard decisions to make, sometimes stress and thing, things like that would make that heart beat stronger. They didn't understand the idea of neurons and and those kind of connections, but they did understand that the heart was at the center of who we were. In many ways, you might call loving the Lord your God with all your heart the idea of when I have time to think about it and when I'm going to do something on purpose, I am going to love God. I'm going to make a plan for loving God. I'm going to decide that, and again, forgive me, I'm not intending to step on toes, but if I decide that I'm going to be going to church, not just when I feel like it, but every week, or I'm going to be tuning in on YouTube every week while the church is doing it, when I'm making those decisions, I'm dealing with heart decisions. I'm making a priority. I'm making a decision. But not all decisions are made with that long view, are they? They don't have those same kind of opportunities to sit back and say, hmm, I wonder what I should do here. And so it is that the second way we need to love God is to love God with all your soul. With all your soul. To love God with all your soul is to move us from the idea of that long-term thinking and particularly the ability to take a minute and stop. Wait a minute, what's right, what's wrong here? When we talk about Loving God with all our soul, we're stepping into the things that become quick, instantaneous reactions. Uh, it was the idea that, that the, the feelings, urges, came from the guts. All right? The splachna is the Greek word for it. I love just saying it, so I decided to, to put it out there for you. And, it, and, it, and the idea is, is when 
something catches me off guard, I tighten up. I can have this reaction in this core of me. My heart keeps beating. This changes. And in many ways, this is the harder part, isn't it? It's one thing to be able to say, well, I've got a minute, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. It's quite another thing when we're in traffic and somebody weaves in front of us and we've got to act instantaneously and suddenly it's like, hey! None of y'all ever do that, right? Hey, what are you doing? Woman driver? Oh, it's a man, never mind. Um, <laughs> it is that instant reaction that takes time to be formed. And I have decided that this is a little more of my prayer life. God, I want the things of my, of my moment, momentary reaction to be more formed into what you want them to be. So that when I see people and there's some sort of outward appearance that, that isn't consistent with exactly what I think it ought to be, I don't go, uh, but I say, compassion. That when I'm called into those moments where it's so easy to let inappropriate expletives, how about that? Inappropriate expletives come out. That I decide, no, my tongue's going to be under my control. Even in those instantaneous moments, I want that thinking to be thinking that reflects love for God. And finally, in Deuteronomy... Love for God will be to love God with all your strength. To a certain extent, that's kind of the all that's left stuff. Decisions, long, thought-out decisions. Decisions quick and instantaneous that my emotions will be ruled by God. And now, not just that I'm going to think the right thing, not just that I'm going to feel the right thing. Do you notice I point to my head? I'm not a good Hebrew, am I? think the right thing, feel the right thing, I am going to do the right thing. I'm going to be engaged in things that reflect in my outer body that honor God with all I am. Jesus will quote this multiple times in different Gospels. It's kind of interesting, and I think at least this points, in my opinion, to the, the integrity of the text, because it's not just repeating the same thing every time. Jesus will say the Deuteronomy quote, heart, soul, and strength, once. He will also speak it from what is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That is, by the way, what you're used to. Heart, soul, add it for me, mind, and strength. Jesus will even say your heart, your soul, and your mind one time in Matthew when asked about this. And the point is, not that Jesus is wishy-washy on this point, it's that these words, as opposed to necessarily being what we think and what we feel and what we do, it is the idea that all of us need to be wrapped up in loving God. Everything that we are. For the Greeks and the Hellenists, they kind of recognize, know that, you know that brain thing is doing something, we're not exactly sure what, but the mind is part of the equation. And so they added that to make sure that it spoke to a culture that understood that, a culture that we continue to sort of reflect, that loving God means loving him with everything. So loving God means that we're going to give everything to God. I loved what Wes said. 
And the Old Testament refers to that tithe thing. And then the New Testament comes and says, I just want you to be happy. And it doesn't say, I want you to, to cheerfully give just the minimum. I want you to give everything to God. You remember the rich young man that comes up to Jesus. What do I need? And you, Have you kept the commands? Yes, <laughs> since I was a kid. And then he says, well, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. Sometimes we don't take everything quite as literally as Jesus did. But it's not just giving everything to God. It is the idea of trusting God for everything. I don't know if you've ever seen images like this one, or, or maybe you've been in this service, and somebody does something outlandish. They'll put a hand up while we're singing a song. They might even shout out hallelujah or something like that. And it's not on key. It's, it's not part of the song, and they're just saying hallelujah. What in the world kind of foolishness is that? And then, of course, if they're really crazy, what do they do? They put both hands up. They put both hands up, and hallelujah. And then, oh, goodness, they may start swaying. And, and they're just completely out of control. Except that every single part of them is engaged in the worship that's going on. Amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed, sometimes when prayer takes place, it's not enough to simply stand there and kind of fold our hands. I, by the way, I love the Facebook post the Nesbitts gave us. Uh, Jackson was praying at his school, and he assumed this prayer position. He, 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 his body followed what his mind was doing. But sometimes it takes even more. And by the way, when I was young, I didn't think this was a big deal to kneel when you prayed. It's a bigger deal when you're knocking on the door of 60 to get down on a knee to pray. And again, it's just foolishness. What in the world does that do for anything except that is one more way to remind us that all of me is engaged in this process. But as we talk about family traditions, one of the things that we have to talk about and reflect on is the way that loving God takes a different shape, has a different purpose, as our family moves from one place to the next. One of the earliest parts of establishing your own family is the process of who you choose to date. Who you will choose to, to ask to say, we're going to go by ourselves somewhere and we're going to eat together, we're going to have an activity together, whatever it may be. And we kind of pass that off. And sometimes parents, it's a little easy to just say, oh yeah, sure, you can go out, you're old enough, you've got a car, whatever. I want to encourage you that that's not productive. Because you've reached one of those major teaching moments in your child's life. And if nothing else, you need to ask. Because, by the way, particularly males, but males and females are being driven to this dating thing by things called hormones. And they're not necessarily the best guides in life decisions. Somebody say? Amen. But in reality, parents, you need to say, well, tell me, do they love God? And students, 
if you're going to be stepping into even a first date, that needs to be a primary question. Do they love God? Now, by the way, the answer may be, I'm not sure. First of all, I've observed them enough to know that they don't hate God, but I'm not sure if they really love God. And we're going to go on this date to have a conversation, and we're going to determine that. But if a first date turns into a second date and a third date, then the question, mom and dad, because God's called you to be the one who asks it, do they love God, needs to be answered in an affirmative. Because if God is going to be everything for us, we have very little business engaging in. And by the way, you're right. Oh, it's just a date. I'm going to have a bunch of those before I'm done. And yet it is a process that begins to establish a family pattern of how you're moving forward in life. Do the people that I want to sit and have a meal with, do the people that I'm going to dedicate individual time, and at least when I was dating, individual money that you had to earn somewhere, Mom and dad reinforced the idea of dating good Christian girls by a $20 bill being on my dresser if they knew I had a date with one or two different girls. And that was their way of affirming this is a good thing. I have to confess, the $20 wasn't always there. Loving God as we start that family and the particular process of dating. The process of dating moves to a place eventually purpose of it is to move to a place of marriage and there's absolutely nothing that can more put you on a foundation for a success in marriage than recognizing that the two people that are going to get together love God do they love God exactly the same no by the way They're never going to do any two things exactly the same. That's why the combination of the two makes a greater whole than just each one. But do they love God? Is it a high priority? Is it a high priority in the priorities and long-term thinking? Is it a priority in the way they react instantaneously? Is it a priority in the things they do with their body? And you need to have the answer to that question. And number two... If you want to ask the question, what can I best do to help my marriage? By the way, if you're struggling to call someone and ask for help. Very few things that can be separated from that. But number two, have I figured out a way that I can more and more make God a bigger priority in my life? And generally speaking, making God a bigger priority in your life will bring about a greater selflessness which will probably have a positive impact on your marriage. But finally, I want to move and talk to just for a second about the idea of loving God as parenting or parenting as loving God. Note the way that loving God through generations is so critical. Callan, thank you for reading what is kind of the close to that opening section of the book and the opening, and it kind of repeats itself on both sides. These are the commands the Lord your God directed me to teach you. What's the purpose? 
so that you can get everything straight and everything can go good for you personally? No, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. These introductory words of Moses, referring back to the restatement of the Ten Commandments, but also looking forward to everything he's going to say until about chapter 26 or 27, which opens with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What is it to be a parent that says loving God is so critical to that posture? If we're going to pass pass on faith to our children, there's no greater litmus test to our love for God than what our children see from us. Now, we may be really good at talking a good line, but do our children see it on a moment-to-moment, day-by-day basis in the confines of our home and in all the places that we go? They're watching. I want to be sure and say that this is a unique way in which the church functions as family as well. Because our kids are watching when we worship. Our kids are watching when we leave. Our kids are watching for the way we talk about the news. The way we refer to politics. Because either that looks like God's love, mercy, and justice, or it just looks like what's best for me. And we'll put God on the side. Mom and dad, do you invest any time and stop in to say, did you hear what the preacher said? More important, did you hear what the teacher of your Bible class said? Tell me the story that you learned in Bible class. And you may, your answer to that question may be, ah, well, we didn't make Bible class, so I can't ask that question. I would ask. Can you be a parent who says the greatest priority in my life is loving God with all my heart, soul, and strength and not decide that it's worth getting up an hour earlier so that my children can be in this perfect little place that's designed completely and totally about them hearing about the love of God in a way that they can understand and not just sitting in a place that's completely designed for adults. Do they hear the music that you play on the radio? Do they see the songs that you sing in your heart when you're humming or when you're singing in the shower? How is every part of you in love with God and what are your children seeing and your grandchildren? and the children of this congregation as they observe who we are, not just what we say is true, but the truth that we live by. God's invitation continues to be, will you, won't you? I think in a very powerful way, The testimony of Jesus is, please love God. No, none of us are going to get that exactly right from the first step. But 
all of us have the opportunity to make every single day another step along the path of what does faith look like and most importantly, what does loving God with everything that we are look like? Have you ever noticed that you make a mistake every once in a while? Anybody notice that? The Bible talks about we need to confess our sins, we need to repent of our sins, and we need to do that. And again, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us. It's not that we're going to go check, uh, cash in a coupon. Oh, forgiveness one more time. Thank you very much. That's a continual flowing thing. And yes, that needs to be a conversation between you and God. But do you really want to make an impact on your child's life? Let me go so far as to say make an impact on your spouse's life? You make sure that your confession and repentance goes to them. There would be some exceptions to that for children, I understand. But the idea to say, hey, you know what? I recognize that what I meant to do and what I did were two different things today. And I want you to know that what I did was a mistake. And I don't want you to think that I think it's okay because I don't think that God thinks it's okay. Will you? Won't you? Please love God. Won't you stand, come as we stand and sing? I was thinking deep within, far from the pizza.